Hi everyone, I'm Trisha Bell. Hi, I'm Georgie Young. And welcome to CTE Talk, the podcast where we talk all about CTE, concussion culture and sport, and life as a family member. Every Monday, we will be joined by guests to shed light on the neurological disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Join us on our mission to raise awareness and educate others. like to welcome Mindy Blanchard to CTE Talk. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Mindy. Thank you for having me. Uh, Hi, Mindy. <laughs> yeah, so I was telling Georgia earlier that I've known Mindy by name and photos on Facebook for quite a few years. I would say more than 10 yeah. years. Um, yeah, we've, we've met, we hooked up pretty early. Yeah. Yeah, there's a Facebook page where um, NFL wives, former, current, um, talk about their stories, and um, a lot of it has, we lot share our CTE stories, and we also share other stories, just um, help, or help finding anything that you might need, just getting to know one another. Absolutely. Yes. So thank you, Mindy, and Mindy's husband, um, played in the NFL. Can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Carrie? Sure. Carrie and I met in college at Oklahoma State, and we married his last year. Um, he went on to sign with Dallas, and then after at the end of the preseason, asked to be released and went on, and then had a long career playing for uh, the Jets, Giants, the Colts, the Redskins, the Cardinals, and the Saints. My did goodness. one preseason with Minnesota. Well, the life of a kicker, you move with a coach or you're as good as your last kick or the whole coaching staff goes and typically, you know, the kickers go. So um, we bounced around and moved. We moved every six months and we moved home in the off season because of that, because of his being um, not as permanent of a position. So we moved twice a year, every year. So uh, I homeschooled and then they went to public school when we got home and we led a crazy life. But um, it kind of bonded us. We were each other's only friends for six months because who wants to be your friend if you're only going to live there for six months? And I didn't want to put the kids through that. And so we kind of just hung and our kids are still that close. As crazy as life was in the NFL, um, it really gave us some family time that could never be replaced. Um, we were a very close, tight family. We did everything together. We were each other's friends and family. Um, we had three kids, Blake, Bailey, and Brayden. And they are still as close, even with spouses, as close as can be. We see each other all the time and our grandkids are being raised together and as cousins. And, and we are just, I mean, I'm so blessed. All the bad with everything we went through, there's still more good than there was bad. And how did you start first noticing kind of the change in your partner? Kind of when did the symptoms start showing and what were they, if you don't mind? Sure, no problem. Um, we had early symptoms that I didn't know were symptoms. We had, he had CTE. Um, I say we because it affects the family and it's absolutely a part of your life too, what they're going through. Um, he uh, had his earliest symptoms. He had the most erratic sleep behaviors and it got to the point where he could not sleep and he would pace and just, it made him very angry Um Carrie, let me describe him as a person first, um, turned in because he turned into a guy that wasn't him. So it wasn't fair to how he ended up was not who he was as a person. Carrie was a very shy person. 
Um, I was outgoing. He was quiet. We were polar opposites. He hid behind me, um, had me speak for him, didn't do speaking engagements, things like that. That just wasn't his cup of tea. He um, spoke only two or three times. It was our kids' elementary classrooms, and I had to sit up front with him and carry on a conversation with him. He wouldn't just speak. I had to ask him questions and say, oh, yeah, tell him about, you know, stuff like that. He was genuinely a shy person. Um, he was very humble. We're both Christians. He, uh, we raised our kids as Christians. He chose family over sports, um, never missed practices or games or anything like that, would, would not eat with the team when they were at um, training camps and stuff. He took the fine and ate with the family because family dinner was very important to us. And that was the kind of leader he was in our family. And so um, when Carrie did an about face and changed and turned into a person that ended up not even speaking to us and forgetting a kid, um, we knew something was wrong. There was no doubt. It was a whole different person. Um, so backing up, Carrie's symptoms started with sleeplessness and we had him tested and they uh, said sleep apnea. And so we tried that and he refused the machine. He had a, um, his sleeplessness would go days. And so he would become just enraged um, and just out of sorts, like anybody would that didn't have sleep for several days. It was very frustrating to him. And when he would get frustrated, he would have panic attacks and um, he was terrified he was going to die. He just, I don't know what about that. He never explained that, but he was very scared um, that he couldn't sleep and, and nobody understood and he was panicked and nobody was helping him and, you know, somebody should be doing something just angry, angry. Um, Carrie was brought up in a very physical home and so um, we started, he had been like that and with us and so he had been the polar opposite parent. He wanted to be different than how he was raised and so um, he, he, he started becoming just physical stuff, throwing stuff and, um, just things that seem so small now as to how it turned out. But in the beginning, it was so shocking to us because he, he'd only been angry during sporting events. Carrie, um, played until the day he died, was playing indoor soccer to keep in shape and played adult men's league softball. And he was just an all around athlete. He had, um, been given soccer, baseball, and football scholarships. He was truly just a genuinely athletic guy. His parents had raised him um, believing that his gift was athleticism, and Carrie took that to mean he wasn't smart. It just meant he was athletic. He didn't understand that you could be both, so he was adamant that our kids be smart. School was first and foremost. You could not play sports unless you had good grades, unless you... Uh, we're not in trouble at school, blah, blah, blah. And so he was, we put all our money into savings to put the kids through college. He wanted them to have a college degree. He knew sports didn't last forever. He wanted our kids to have something to fall back on, you know, so he was, he was very um, strong in his beliefs and who he was. And so it was easy to know what he thought and how he felt. So when Carrie changed and started doing things so differently than he'd done for 25 years of our marriage, we just didn't even know we didn't even know who he was. I don't know how to say it better than that. And it sounds like from listening to everybody else on the podcast and stuff, it's pretty much what everybody experiences. They just turn into somebody you didn't even, you don't even recognize them. I mean, physically you're looking at the person, but the things that come out of their mouth mm. and the, the things they do, you just stand there in awe saying, what happened to the person I fell in love with? <laughs> Where are you? So um, anyways, he, uh, the sleeplessness was first. Then he went through a bout of depression. 
And I will say that CTE was not talked about, wasn't anything yet. Um, we, when I was working, I went to work because he couldn't work. He got so depressed. Um, he used to come and sleep on the floor in my office. And, you know, that was okay because Carrie was a professional athlete and he was going through, everybody okayed it and babied him. Um, that he was going through some depression because his career was over and he didn't know what to do with himself and blah, blah, blah. So as strange as that was, nobody, everybody makes excuses for them. And so we tried a CPAP machine and that he just had, he couldn't relax and let anything else be in control. And that made him feel trapped and panicked and it made his panic attacks worse. So we could not use the CPAP machine at all. Um, even during his two sleep studies that we had, I had to sleep with him in the bed. I mean, he just, and they don't let anybody do that, but you know, he's a professional athlete. We make excuses. We, they get away with everything. So, um, we bend all the rules for them and, and they did. And so they pacified everything, you know, we'd go for help and they like, well, if you can't wear the machine, it's okay. You know, and no, you know, we needed help for sleep going three, four days with no sleep is worse than fighting a machine, you know? Um, but we never got any help there. Um, so the depression came and it did get a little better on medication. And then he had bouts of rage during his sporting events. That was his first thing that it, the physical came out on. He uh, beat up a firefighter during an adult soccer game. Um, he was constantly thrown out of the games he was playing and, and enraged. And I don't, I don't know what happened with the competition that he was still very much able to play, um, but something would trigger in him and he would just become physical. It was his outlet. Um, and I think it was from lack of sleep and he was just exhausted and, and it just anything would trigger him. So looking back, we see those as the early signs, but we never put anything together like that. We didn't know there was anything that could go together like that. So um, we just dealt with thinking it was a kind of a midlife crisis and, and that he was changing from a professional athlete to not knowing what he wanted to do with his life. Mm. I mean, that transition anyway, isn't it? It's really hard. Like, I think there's this whole, it's called athletic identity when an individual's been in a sport and that's their whole personality. When they transition out of sport, it can encourage feelings of depression and sadness and confusion because all they know is to be an athlete and to train and to compete. So that naturally is is really difficult um, anyway, um, besides obviously deep down starting to suffer from the symptoms of CTE. So was CTE something that you were familiar with at all, had heard of at all, or was that completely a foreign term to you? Foreign term, never heard of it. Um, the movie Concussion came out and someone asked me if I'd watched it. And I said, no, why would I watch that? I mean, I just, no. Um, and didn't think twice about it. Uh, Carrie died in 2016 and his, we call it, Dad's demise was three years long when it was so polar opposite that we had could not live with him any longer. So looking back, I think it was about 10 years long um, at least. And the last three years, things started with, um, I helped him get a job at the school district. We were in a small school district, kind of rural. And he um, was an assistant to someone and, and it got him a job and gave him self-confidence. And then he got, because he was working at the school, he could be a football coach. So um, he was happy. I think he needed the, the, the fellowship, the fraternity of the guys and stuff. And he loved that. And that really seemed to help. He really um, seemed happier. Um, and so we had a good couple of years there. Things were great. And then he got hired a secretary that 
he didn't like. He didn't like for people to um, be enamored with him as a star. It made him very uncomfortable because of his shyness. And so she was uh, someone who, oh, I can't believe who you are. And I get to be your secretary and oh, all the time. And that he didn't like that. And so he was constantly complaining about her and she was loud and obnoxious and he just doesn't like attention drawn to him. And so at home, all we heard were complaints and wished he'd had a choice and who he got to hire and blah, 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 blah. Well, um, about six months later, my, our youngest son catches him. Um, our youngest son catches him, uh, having an affair with her. So that is how we figured out that dad was different than we ever anticipated. This dad that had raised us family, everything, and in a Christian home. And I mean, we worked youth together and, you know, just anyways, he just did everything that he said not to do. That was the first thing we noticed. Um, and so my boys kicked him out and from, he became enraged. Um, he didn't get physical that time, but he got furious and just out of control and saying things that didn't make sense, just screaming, just, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to describe it because it looked, it was just a true fury, just a rage mm -hmm. that I think he was embarrassed that he got caught, but I think he was embarrassed that he knew it was wrong. But looking back and we've talked about it as a family, he it was like he needed an excuse for it. He didn't have an excuse, but he knew he, he didn't, he didn't know what he was doing. And that was our first um, realization. Something was different. Uh, the couple of months leading up to that, he had the sleeplessness had become so bad that he started sleeping all over the house, which he used to not be able to sleep without me. Like even, like I said, for his sleep tests, I had to sleep with him in the bed. He had these panic attacks. And so it was odd that he would sleep somewhere else in the house. That was not normal for him. He was very demanding that I sleep with him and I'm going to bed. We're all going to bed, you know, kind of thing. And um, so when that started and he hated the cell phone and then he got to where he was um, on the cell phone all the time and just kind of in another world. That was a the couple months before they caught him cheating. There were slight little changes like that, but nothing horrible. We were all realizing that he was going through sleeplessness and could not sleep, literally could not sleep. And so, when he was short, when he was frustrated, it all made sense, you know, um, he, um, that was in right after Christmas, Christmas seemed fairly normal. Um, he did everything that he normally, we have all these family traditions. He did everything normal, um, bought me very special gifts, like sentimental gifts, you know, so I didn't think anything was wrong. And then, you know, a few days later, the kids, catch him cheating so it was like two different lives because nothing at home was seeming like anything was different or wrong and still going to church still in Sunday school class still talking about our family and marriage and you know every like that was the way to live and then he was living another life um so then when they kicked him out and he became enraged he disappeared and that started every single thing that I call CTE um he would come and go. Uh, we'd, I'd be washing the dishes and he'd walk in the house, sit down at the dinner table and say, what's for dinner? And I, I, I haven't seen you or talked to you in three weeks. What do you mean? What's for dinner? You know, he just, he just disappeared as a person. Um, mm -hmm. 
we we went about six months not knowing where he was um and we learned later his parents had given him their camper he was living in the camper uh, on somebody's land that we didn't know previously through somebody he'd met had helped him find this empty land and um, had no running water he showered at random people's houses he just like hey i need a shower mindy stole all my money and won't give me anything and we're getting a divorce so i have to live in a camper he had this whole thing made up so everybody felt sorry for him and um thought i i just took him for everything um even his parents his family um his sister and his mom and dad fully believed all of his stories um to this day have no relationship with us um despite i've sent them the ct things i've sent them I don't, I don't get any response. I don't, you know, so mm -hmm. that we lost Carrie and half our family. Um, mm -hmm. We have lots I, of cousins and aunts and uncles that, you know, they believe it. They saw it. Did but, his family know about the affair as well? Or did, was that another case of him yeah. convincing them it was a different story to what the truth was? No, I went to his dad actually and said, um, after he got caught at the affair a week later, he got fired from his job Um he was stealing gasoline. He was over safety at the school district. And so he knew where all the cameras were. He knew all of that. And he was filling his tank and our kids' tanks gas at the oh, school wow. district. And when he was confronted, he told them, I'm in charge of safety and the cameras. I know that. I know you can see me. So that doesn't make sense. You know you're going to get caught, but you're defending it. But he wasn't defending it, they said. They said he was just saying, I know. I know you can see me. Like, it's okay that I do what I do. And so that was um, the school district, uh, a couple of the board members and administrators talked to me at length. They're like, what is wrong with Carrie? Is he on drugs? That doesn't make sense. You don't defend that. You know, and he was okay with getting caught. He was saying, I know. You know, and I was like, what? What do you mean he's stealing? We have money. You know, <laughs> what are you talking about? And so he came to my work the day he got fired which I hadn't seen him in a week because um, he'd been kicked out by the kids. And he came to the work. He was crying. We went into the break room. I worked at a medical office and he's sobbing and he grabs me and he said, you've always been the one. You've always been the one that fixes everything. You take care of me. I, I lean on you for everything. You have to fix this. And I said, I'm assuming it's the affair. And I said, I can't fix your affair. I, I no, that's all on you. And he was like, no, 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 my job. I lost it. You help me get it. You have to help me get it back. And I said, why'd you lose it? And he said, they don't understand that they owe me the gas that I'm getting. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, the gas, I get gas for the car, for the kids, because we can't afford gas. And they need me at the office. They need me to come into work. So they should be thanking me. And I was like, he just, everything justified in his head that he was okay, what he was doing. But any normal person, that makes no sense. So um, that was my first sign that something's really wrong with him. And so mm. I thought his midlife crisis, he's turned to drugs. I went back into our doctor, our family doctor, that the practice that I worked at. And I was like, so they did a drug screen on him. Um, it was clear. And I said, well, maybe he's drinking then because something's wrong. I mean, nobody in their right mind. How many times did I say that? Nobody in their right mind would say this. So I called, we got a count. They sent us straight to a counselor, all five of us, the three kids, uh, my husband and I all went. And he told the counselor in the meeting uh, with all of us that I was crazy, that I'd stolen all of his money. And that I wasn't fighting for our family or I would let his girlfriend move in with us. People are doing it all the time. 
And if I cared about our family and our Christian beliefs, that we would all live together and that would be what's best for the children. And we were seeing a Christian counselor. We talked to him about, you know, what God says and blah, blah, blah. And he said, I know that's what I'm saying. Mindy's not fighting. She's not trying. She's not trying. All we have to do is let her move in with us. And then we can all live together as a Christian family. It is like, again, nobody in, nobody in their right mind says something so crazy, you know? And so that was our, that, that month, that first month was the hardest because he went from a month before with Christmas, everything seemed fairly normal to what happened to my husband? Where did he go? Who, who invaded his body and bring him back? I mean, it was just, it was just an out of body experience. I couldn't believe the things that he was saying because they, they made no cognitive sense. And they were so polar opposite of the man that he had fought so hard to be. He grew up poor. He wanted his kids to feel secure. Um, he had stolen for things when he was younger because he was so poor was his reasoning. Um, and he never wanted his kids to be like that. Um, and so it was like he resorted back to what he had known. It was almost like he went back in time and he acted like I didn't know him then. I met him in college but it was everything I'd heard about him. Um, he never, he never did drugs. Never actually, he used to sell the drugs. The team gave you readily and said he was a drug dealer. Cause he'd sell them to the other guys that needed more pain pills. Cause the kicker didn't need me, but everybody got them free. So they'd get high and want another one. And he'd give them one for 20 bucks, you know, a pill. So he uh, was very open about that. And everybody knew we had many people that used us cause he was known as such a family man that they, when they were out doing things that were wrong, they'd say, oh, I'm hanging with Carrie. Well, all the wives trusted him because he didn't drink. He didn't do drugs. He didn't cheat on his wife. He whatever. And so I had so many people, so many awkward situations. And with the kids, I used to have to tell them not to say anything because they'd say, thanks for having John over last night and making up that name. Um, and I'm, you know, like, he didn't come to my house, you know, not knowing what to say. And, the, and my oldest is Blake. And he'd be like, what? You know, I'm like, Shh. you know, I'm not that's not my business. I'm not getting involved, you know, kind of thing. And, Mm -hmm. and so that was the man he was known as. So then to become something so opposite, I didn't even know what to do. I mean, it's just, it's just not how we, how we live. I was going to say like, obviously that must have been really, really difficult for you and all of your children, especially the ones who kind of caught him. But after the affair, did you struggle to stay with him and, and, try and delve deeper and figure out what the root of the issue was or was that just something you felt like you had to do as he was going through these changes you know what it was the it was the biggest challenge of my life as a christian woman god had given me permission to divorce him and i wanted my kids were in high school and college i wanted to show them that you stand up for your beliefs and so i wanted to leave him divorce him you know whatever and say no we we don't do this and I didn't want my daughter to think a man could do this to her. I didn't want my sons to think they could do this to their wives someday. I, uh, I really struggled. Um, after our counselor session where he talked about his girlfriend like that, the kids, the counselor and the kids told me whatever he's choosing, he's on, we believed he was on drugs, even though we hadn't caught him on the uh, drug test. Um, mm-hmm. We believe something like that was wrong. Um, and so, um, they just said, we can't have anything to do with him. So we moved to a gated community where he wouldn't know where we were and where he wouldn't be able to get into us because the rages were um, bad and we didn't want them to escalate. We knew he'd lived in a home of violence um, and he had had that bout when we were first married and been to anger counseling and 
and it didn't come back. But I was getting scared that it would because in his rages, he looked like that again. And so, you know, I know it was 25 years ago, but he was doing things he did when before I knew him. So I was afraid of it. And lo and behold, I was right. Um, I I fought for Carrie. I wouldn't leave. My kids got so mad at me because I kept saying something's wrong with him. I know him better than anybody knows him. Something's wrong with him. And being young adults, they're like, look, if he's choosing drugs, that's on him. You know, blah, blah, blah. They just, you know, kind of like, he's making bad choices. Let him deal with the consequences kind of thing. It was it's such a throwaway society, you know, that they just like, that's his choice. We don't have to be like that. We choose to be different. He can't have anything to do with us. They're all very smart, very um, headstrong. I mean, what Grounded. we raised him, he got it. Yeah. And so they were very confident in our family that we don't have to have him if he chooses not to be like we believe and what we want. And that's on him. You know, and they just kept saying that that's on him. That's on him. And I was fighting for as a Christian, though, if dad had cancer, I would fight for the best doctors to try and save his life. Mm -hmm. And if he's a drug addict now, that's not dad. I don't know where he got it. I don't know what got him into it. Maybe the sleeplessness made him crazy and, and I got to help him. And so I fought, I fought for him. Nobody would listen to me. Um, that was the hardest thing is I believed something. I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't prove it. And I didn't know what was wrong. And Everybody was like, if he's choosing drugs, that's a choice. You have to let him choose it. And I didn't believe that's what it was. But there were no other answers out there. CTE wasn't a thing that people even knew about, let mm -hmm. alone not a kicker. He didn't get tackled all the time. He didn't. Never on my radar. Never. Never. Um so things just that three years, he continued to get worse. He continued to do more things. The rage came. The Our youngest um, was the one in high school. The others were in college, so they didn't have to deal with the daily daily demise of dads, what we call it, um, the D-days. Mm. Um, he, our youngest had to protect me uh, in many physical altercations. The police had to be involved. Um, we just, we got to where we hated him. And that's a horrible thing to have to admit, but we didn't know who he was. And this guy, we hated. Where was our dad? Um, and and he was gone. He was gone. And we didn't know how to get him back. We didn't know how to help him. We didn't know if we should let him go or if we should fight for him. The whole three years were just questions after questions and no guidance. and Nobody knew how to help us. And we didn't know where to turn. It was a horrible, horrible experience. I think it would have been easier if he was a drug addict. At least we'd know, put him in rehab, you know, get help from these doctors, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. We didn't, you know, to the counselor, he, he believed what he said was okay. So he rationalized everything that I was crazy for not believing his craziness. You know, mm -hmm. um, there was no way mm -hmm. to help that. We couldn't go to counseling for that. And the counselor tried met with him several times after that and, and he just said I don't know what and he thought he was on drugs he said I don't know what he's taking what he's doing but he's living in a world that is so real to him mm. and there's no I can't I can't discuss with him what's not real thing you know we, we talked about everything but you couldn't prove anything you couldn't everything was a lot of talk but there was no action there was no guidance there was no help I didn't know those were symptoms that was the beginning of his demise and we thought it was um 
kind of why I went crazy. The lack of sleep. We thought it was because, I mean, people, I mean, if you read on that, so that's why I justified yeah. that. This is what age was that? He's losing his mind. He started having trouble in his latter thirties. Um, mm -hmm. The last three years, everything was full blown. I think it's when we went from stage two to stage three was the um, yeah. last three years. Now that I'm educated, now that I know, I, um, it makes sense that that's when he transitioned from one to the other, because in stage two, it comes and goes and you have symptoms and they come back and go away and um, they're justifiable for lots of other reasons. You can't sleep. You have sleep apnea. You can't handle the machine. You um, have fits of rage because you're so tired because you can't sleep. I mean, we justified and you're depressed because this transition of life and, you know, we, everything could be something and, and we could make it make sense. And so looking back, you know, those things go together, but they seem so separate and so uh, normal to think they were not definitely not football related or, or really carries more of a sports related person than just football. Um, and so, and we didn't know about CTE. We didn't, we didn't know this disease even existed. So. Mm. Wow. And when did you first um, know of CTE? Like when did it come on your radar? Um, someone in Carrie was a very likable, friendly guy. Everybody liked Carrie. Like he never got hazed in the NFL and he changed teams like, you know, a thousand times. And, even as a rookie, he never got hazed. He was just a good old, genuine Oklahoma, Texas boy, handshake, funny. He had a giggle that could make anybody laugh, no matter how mad you were. He was, it was, he was just a fun, nice, easy guy. And so everybody liked him. And um, he has lots of friends in the NFL and still from college and stuff. And someone messaged me from his college days and said, we're going to take Carrie to lunch. I don't know what's going on with him, but we've heard lots of things. And I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, Oklahoma's still a small town and everybody knows. I mean, he was making quite the name for himself. So we, uh, they took him to lunch, called me afterwards, said he's a lost cause. I don't know if he's on drugs. I don't know what's wrong with him. You can't talk to him. He tries to rationalize things that make no sense. He is absolutely crazy. The stuff that he believes are normal and okay are not. I mean, they were just like where we'd been feeling like this. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I said no one in their right mind. Isn't that ironic? I didn't know at the time I was saying exactly what I was dealing with. You know, mm -hmm. he wasn't in his right mind, but I didn't know that. And so I was saying things. Wow. He wasn't in his right mind, you know, give him a break. But I didn't know to give him a break. So we have a lot of guilt for that. A lot of guilt. Mm, yeah. What do you do? So obviously you mentioned about that kind of the first stages of Kerry's decline and that he was being caught stealing and he just had these changes in behaviors. I just wondered what the latter stages were like. Okay. So he did a rapid progression. Um, once he started changing, like my guess from end of stage three, um, he went out of control. In the three-year demise, he wound up, I mean, he was fired for theft. He had an affair, um, heard of another affair, never got proof of that one. Um, that charming lady didn't admit it, but the other one did. So, um, He got in trouble with my brother-in-law, don't ask, um, for selling land that there was no land, but they were using Carrie's fame to sell it to people. So I ended mm. up with the FBI questioning me, and I'm you know, here we are married, but I'm swearing I have nothing to do with it. And they're saying, you're going to have to pay. And I'm like, but I don't even know where he lives. I don't, even, you know, it was, it was a disaster on our end and scary. The stuff he did that was getting us in trouble. You know, I, it was, it was horrible. Um, he ended up being a sacker at a grocery store. And if you knew Carrie, 
he had always told the kids, I will work McDonald's or Walmart or anything I have to do. I want you to go to college. I'll do anything. Um, you get your education. That was so important to him. But then when it came time for him to get a job that was beneath him and him sleeping on the floor in my office was okay, but not working something like that. And so that was when now I look back and see that things were changing in him then when he was depressed and and because that other guy would have done whatever for the things he believed in. I mean, wouldn't have even bothered him. And I think there was about 10 years, what we call a three year demise. I think that was stage three, but that I think there was several years before that, that he was in stage two, that he was doing little bits and pieces of things that didn't make sense for him. Yeah. Such similar stories. They're also ironically parallel. It's just, it's just, it makes you feel so much peace that you're not crazy because it makes you feel crazy what you're going through. When I knew someone so well, I mean, we grew up together. We got married in college. Our whole adult life was together. So I knew everything about him and we were super ridiculously close. Like, like annoyingly, we were that couple. We ate lunch mm-hmm. together three out of five days a week while he, we worked. I mean, we were just, people were annoyed with us because we were such a family, you know, and to this person that he ended up in, in Carrie's demise, he, um, like I said, got in lots of trouble. He was big on, if I want that, I take it. There was no um, consequences left in him. He um, began drinking all the time. Uh, my youngest son, Braden, and I went to the trailer. We found out about the trailer, found it one time. Um, followed him um you can really become a detective pretty easy it's a pretty cool job um anyways we <laughs> followed him and uh alcohol hidden everywhere in the and he's living by himself so there's no reason to hide it hidden in every pocket of the place and he didn't drink he did I'm not gonna say we never drank like we were that family that uh New Year's Eve he might drink or if we went out to Mexican food we might share a margarita so he probably drank two or three times a year so I can't say we never drank but we didn't drink, you know, so Fairly, yeah. for him to have all of that, you know, and he had alcohol and beer and he hated beer, hated beer, hated beer, hated beer, tons of all kinds of beer all over the camp. My son was just like, what is wrong with him? This is not and, him. I will never forget that day. And just hiding it, like you said, from no one, because he just lives exactly. there by himself. Exactly. And uh, that was so not like him. We were very mm. normal I don't want to say we weren't OCD by any means, but it was, it was, it was gross, you know, and, Mm. and who would want to live like that? And he didn't have to. And, you know, like convincing everybody that I took all his money and everything. When he died, he had $32,000 cash, you know, but he made his dad send him money because he didn't even have money to eat. (laughs) So he had this paranoia story in his head that he made up. He didn't even access his cash. It was in his checking account hours I never touched it because I didn't want him to go without food or him to you know I had our savings to pull from that I froze um but he had the checking account because of course I want him to eat of course I want him to pay for where he's living or whatever but he was living free and off everybody and telling he ended up the grocery work for you know he was taking stuff he you know it's just he just really he really believed what he was living through was as real it was so real to him there was no way anyone could convince him any different and people would feed into it and say yeah because I'm very very strong opinionated person and they say, oh yeah man I bet she's hard to live with well that would add to his yeah she's the one that stole my money 
yeah, I can see, you know, she probably took it all because she's going to keep it for herself because people just say whatever. They don't even know. Yeah. You know, and it would feed his, his paranoia, his story. And I don't think people intended to do that. Nobody knew that's what was happening. Um, mm-hmm. I think people are mean, you know, that, and it was real to him, you know, but because it was real to him, yeah. you couldn't convince him any different. Um, my, my most interesting thing with the, what I hope they do learn is, um, Carrie remembered our first two kids and forgot our third. So mm. somewhere and there's two years between the first two and then almost four between the second and third, somewhere in there mm-hmm. he got lost. Um, and that was, that's very interesting to me that he got lost there because I don't, I don't understand the brain and how all of that damage and everything works, but he knew enough about the older two kids. He even tried to reach out to them a couple of times. They would text with him when he would text, but they never would see him or talk to him. Um, right. he was just crazy. He was crazy. And his anger was so out of control. It just wasn't safe. And they, um, he never included the third child. He never, he sat behind him at the local school game. He went to watch our nephew play baseball. Our youngest was sitting in front of him. He texted him during the game from a new phone that, you know, he changed phones all the time, you know, whatever. Um, and said, I'm at our nephew's game. I would love to see you. And my son turned around and looked at him. He looked right at him, didn't say a word. So my son texted him back and said, well, I guess if you knew me, you'd see me. And he never, never got it. Looked right at him, never got it. He, it wasn't there. And that was the last conversation of any sort that he had with our youngest. And then he never mentioned him again, never. He was just forgotten somehow in, in his damage to his brain. I don't know what happens with all that, but that he was gone, that part of his life he got an older car back like he had for a first car um Mm -hmm. so those were the signs that made me think it's not a midlife crisis um the paranoia that's not a midlife crisis the driving a four-door oldsmobile bonneville you know is not a midlife crisis with the corvette you know which he was a car person so he'd have got a sports car he'd always had a sports car you know um there were things that I kept trying to convince people that something's wrong with him. Do you not see this is not a midlife crisis? Mm-hmm. Something is wrong with him, you know, and everybody thought I was so in love with him and just not able to think straight. And I ended up, everybody's telling me I'm crazy. And I'm like, I'm just anyways, um, he uh, disappeared for a long time. For a long time, we didn't have any interaction with him. And suddenly one day he texted the older two and said, I want to meet for dinner and talk. And they agreed to, because it'd been a really long time since we met, uh, had had any conversation with him, any of us. And uh, they said, walked in, watched a game. It was at a sports bar, watched a game, talked like they were there to watch the game. Nothing. And they were just like, hello, we're your kids. Like, how are you? What do you do? You know, they were so disappointed and hurt and tried to justify we always tried to justify everything that he didn't know what to mm-hmm. say he didn't know what to do he's shy he counted on you to talk for him mom you know blah, 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 blah. And so in your hurt you try to make things better you know um and then again he disappeared after that nothing for a long time and then um I get migraines sometimes and I post on Facebook hey they're minor caused by the weather change and I said weather change is coming the weatherman's right I've got a migraine and he came over to the house. It was like 11 o'clock at night. Um, and I knew he followed me. I knew he stalked me. But I didn't know he followed my Facebook like that because he didn't have Facebook. Um, so I don't know how he saw it. Um, and came over and he had a way that he massaged my head. And he was car- he, mm, 
he was carried. That was the last time he was carried. He was loving and kind. And he cried to me and said, um, I don't know how to fix everything. Things are so bad. I don't even know how to get out of this. I'm in so much trouble. You don't even know. Um, he was trying to convince me that I didn't know what he was doing. He was trying to convince me that I could never forgive him. He was trying to convince me that even I couldn't fix everything. Um, I'd always been his helpmate, you know? So um, he, he said, and his mom was dying and he was very upset about that. And she'd had a very long, slow disease. So, um, and she, her life was coming, you know, to the end and he didn't know what to do. And I convinced him he needed to go down and see her and spend time with her. And um, he agreed. And this was on a Thursday. And so he left on Friday to go see her. He spent several hours with me. He, he was the real Carrie. Everything was sorry and sad and crying and begging and making sense. He made some sense. He, he knew what he was doing was wrong. It was, it was everything I'd prayed for, everything I'd hung in there for. And he left to go see his mom. And um, that weekend he texted me and he said, I, I said, should we bring the kids? Should the kids come alone? Do we need to say goodbye? He texted me and said, she's definitely dying. I don't expect her to make it through the weekend. And I don't think any of y'all should be here because of everything I've done. Well, you know, he convinced them all these horrible things about us. And this just, it wasn't the time. It was about her dying, not about fixing our family, you know? And mm -hmm. so I said, okay. And, and that was um, the last conversation we had. We'd talked and he said, I'll text you. I'll keep you updated. And I didn't hear from him again. Well, she died on Tuesday. Uh, they buried her. Uh, she died on Tuesday, go through the funeral. I knew he'd be very busy and he was loved her very close to her. Um, both our parents are still married. I mean, we had a very traditional Christian families, you know, whatever. And, uh, uh, he, I didn't bother him. I didn't bother him. And then by like Thursday or Friday, I started texting him and, I, and he's not answering. I'm calling him. He's not answering. And I, and I'm worried that he's getting more depressed and, you know, this is going to put him over the edge. And, um, uh, I'm just getting worried because, because he'd been normal again. And so, um, the one week from when his mom died on Tuesday, I was sitting at dinner with all three of my kids, now two are in college and one's in high school. So that means four cars meeting at a restaurant coming from wherever everybody is. Um, and, um, my ex brother-in-law, Carrie's sister's ex-husband called me, which I had his phone number saved, but I mean, don't even know the last time I talked to him. I was just like, what? And so I answered it just because it was so weird. And he said, where are you? And I said, in Oklahoma. And he goes, no, where are you now? I said, at a restaurant. Why? <laughs> and he said, uh, are you with the kids? And I said, yes, what is wrong? And he said, I have bad news. And I said, okay, what? And he said, Carrie died. And I said, no, he didn't. And he said, yes, he did. And I said, no, he didn't. They would have contacted us. And he said, I'm telling you, Carrie died. My son was with him. I just hung up with him. And I said, I don't know what to say right this second. Give me a second. And so I ran. He said, right before I hung up with him, he said, get the kids' phones before they see it on the internet. I wouldn't have thought of that. I, I just totally froze. And so I uh, took the kids' phones and said, an emergency's happened. Everybody get to the house. And the restaurant we were at was about three miles from our house. So it took not enough time because I called my parents to come to the house, but we got home too fast. So we get home and everybody's sitting on the couch scared. And, um, I went into the bathroom and I just got sick. I, 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 I just couldn't, 
I don't know. I didn't know what to do. I, I just threw up. I was like, oh, I can't do this. And uh, I just didn't want to believe it. And so I just sat there and I was like, I can't tell my kids this because we would have been caught. Nobody's calling me. What is the deal? And I look on the internet, I look at them, there's nothing. And so um, about the time I decided I was going to call, his name is Bob, back um, to make sure of this before I tell the kids, he called. And I answered and he said, before you tell the kids, I wanted to make sure there was nothing they needed to know. And I have talked to both of my kids. They were all there and gave me a little lowdown of what happened. And, you know, if I can do anything, let me know kind of thing, you know, and I hung up and I just lost it. I just, it was real then. And I didn't know how I was going to walk in and tell my kids. We were so hopeful we were going to get to see dad, you know, again. And, so uh, my kids start knocking on the bathroom door because um, I, I just didn't come out. I, I didn't want to face them. And um, my oldest son threatened to come in if I didn't come out. And so I said, give me a second. I came out. I walked into the den. As soon as I looked at their faces, I just lost it. And I just said, Daddy died. I, and they were like, no, he didn't. They would have called us. And I said, that's what I said. And uh, we all just kind of like, were numb and in shock and it wasn't real because I don't know, it just wasn't real. And so then within minutes, the hysteria just was a just total hysteria and nothing good of that. Um, and so I told him what Bob had told me was that he um, had had a seizure and um, one of my kids worked in the medical field and he said, dad doesn't have a seizure disorder. And I said, I realized that, but he had a seizure and they took him to the hospital and he was awake and alert and doing okay. He had another seizure and awake and alert in between. They were giving him medicine for the seizure to try and stop them. And I guess the third seizure, um, his heart exploded, um, the Widowmaker heart. And um, that was it. And that's all we know, and that is the doctor's guess, because until we do an autopsy, you know, we won't know. And uh, uh, we we just, I don't know, I tried calling the hospital. Carrie's dad had told them he was next to kin, and we couldn't get any information, and um, it was a nightmare. It was just a nightmare. They had believed all his paranoia and stories, and... We ended up having to get a court order. The judge gave us paperwork to give to the sheriff. The sheriff went with uh, my son and his best friend, who's a police officer, to the house. To We wanted to get the body for a funeral. We wanted to get his belongings. Um, and his dad refused and lied. And finally, my, my son decided that those were material things. It was our life. We don't need the material things. We have memories. And... If that's what makes him feel like he had um, had him in his life, then he needed him worse than we did. So we just gave up. We just didn't follow through. So we had his memorial service um, with no body. Um, the uh, football players were fantastic and begged me to donate his brain. And I said, he had a heart attack. I said, but he had a seizure. And I said, oh, good point. <laughs> um, I, I just couldn't think clearly. Everything was so overwhelming and such a fight. I wasn't able to just think clearly at all. And one of the guys said to me, Carrie would want you to. He loved football. And if this helped us get a baseline, he would want you to. And I agreed. 
but it had been a couple of days and we figured too far gone to do anything. Um, they gave me Dr. Malo's number. He called the medical examiner's office um, that the judge had given us and um, talked to them and called us right back and said, because of your court case, the body's been preserved and nothing's happened to it. So we are able to do things with it and they're going to uh, preserve the brain the way it needs to be and send it to me. And I was like, okay, when do we get the body? I was still stuck on when, I don't know why we wanted the body so bad. We wanted to see that it was him. And um, um, so I don't, I, I, my kids, um, my two boys were going to go down and drive the body back. And the judge um, had called me back the same day we'd made the decision to do that. And it's just like four hours from us um, where his parents lived and asked if we wanted cremation or if we wanted his body. And when he asked me that, I remembered that Carrie wanted to be cremated. I hadn't been thinking clearly the whole time, which is good because it saved the brain. Um and so I went to the kids and said, Daddy wanted to be cremated. And they said, we know. It's something he joked about all the time. Um, we used to go to Carrie's parents' house a lot. They live on the lake. And between our house and theirs, about halfway is a beautiful lake. And it's a private lake, and you can't go on it. And that drove him crazy. And so he always joked that uh, when he died, he wanted us to jump the fence and throw his ashes there. So it's something that the kids grew up with knowing. That's what he I mean, he joked about it, but he talked about it all the time. He's like, wouldn't it be so cool? And then every time you go down there, you'll you'll know I'm right there, da, da, you know. And so there was no doubt he wanted to be cremated. Um, and so I called the judge back and said, cremation. And so he signed the orders for everything. And um, and we got Carrie in a box in the mail. So that was it. So we didn't hear anything from Dr. Malu forever, ever. He died in September, and it was forever. And uh, our youngest was graduating in May. We needed some closure, and we were afraid to do anything with ashes. And I don't know why. Until we had the closure, we just were afraid. I don't know. And so um, I emailed Dr. Malu and said, "I'm not trying to be pushy, but I'm being pushy. How long will this take? We're not expecting anything, but we're afraid to do anything." And we need to bury him. And uh, he called me back within 24 hours and apologized. Could not have been more kind. Said he was traveling, promoting uh, the movie, the book, something concussion had come out. Um, and that he wasn't there. And they had saved the brain for him to do when he was back in California. And that he was going to be home within a week and he would do it and call me immediately. And, and he did exactly what he said he would do and could not have been more apologetic or kind. And um, uh, answered all my questions that I didn't know I had because I didn't expect him to have it. Um, and set up a conference call with the kids later that day to answer their questions because it was a little overwhelming. And I didn't know what to ask him at the time. So um, we had a conference call with him and he did the best job he could telling the kids that um, that uh, Carrie wasn't himself and he couldn't help it, all the bad things he'd done. And that 
he didn't feel like he'd forgotten his last son, which my son needed to hear. Um, that he just couldn't remember. And that we could find peace in knowing that this is not who he wanted to be. And what we thought of Carrie was right. And he just turned into somebody else out of his control. So um, we just had to move on from there. We just had to accept it. And I mean, what do you do? And we've been through up and down of that. It was not immediate relief. It was shock. I mean, he's a kicker. So then I had to learn about CTE because it was so new and I didn't know what that meant. So the guys that had talked to me into donating the brain, I'm just all over them. A couple of them were very involved with the Boston University uh, thing that was forming at the time. And I will say the greatest, I shouldn't say the greatest, the hardest thing of this whole situation for us is the frustration on this end that Boston and Amalu don't work together because we could be moving forward. Um, I wanted to move Carrie's brain to Boston because that's where those players and my friends were and um, let him be part of the, f the football study, whatever. And, you know, they don't speak, they don't talk, whatever. Between those two, this is, I, I just, the politics of it, we got enough drama. We don't need all that. Very disappointing. And so then I had guilt that I'd given his brain to the wrong person, <laughs> you know, because Carrie was all about the camaraderie and the fellowship of his um, his fraternity, his football guys, you know. So, uh, you know, whatever. There's that. <laughs> well, an incredible story, and I'm so sorry that you had to go through all that. I mean, it just sounds so, so difficult, and and I can imagine having children involved as well. It just adds that extra layer of or extra dimension of, being so overwhelming and, and so, so difficult. What stage CTE was Harry diagnosed with? Do you remember? Dr. Amalu said that he was stage three, oh, okay. um, which none of us, we didn't, I just, to be honest with you, I was like, okay. I mean, I don't, we didn't know anything about CTE at the time and we didn't know what that even meant. And so there was no place to turn at the time. Like I could do a little tiny bit of research there just wasn't anything out there. I mean, this was 2016. I mean, where was I going to find info, you know? Mm. So I just kept, uh, I just kept trying to reach out to people because there wasn't the, it wasn't like you could, you know, Google and get just tons of information. And so a few months later, the Boston thing came out. I don't remember how long, but where it had the 90 some percent of the football players that they tested had, you know, and that gave some people believed us a little bit more. But the kids and I had done an interview with a local news station, and there's three news stations in Oklahoma, and we just aren't big enough city that everybody hears everything, you know, eventually. Mm -hmm. So we did a, the four of us did a, a interview together talking about him turning into the man we didn't know, and we caught a lot of grief for it because we're in, we're in Oklahoma half the kids that played at OU or OSU are from Texas. I mean, this is people live and die football. Our weekends involve tailgating here and nobody wants to hear it. Yeah. I can post something on Facebook about my grandchild and have 300 likes in five minutes. And I can post something about CT and get two. And it's usually one of my kids or my best friend. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to know here. Um, and that 
hurts. It hurts so bad because I feel this horrible obligation to clear his name because he did so many bad things and hurt so many people, myself included. But he was not the man that he worked so hard not to be. He grew up very poor and in a, um, he grew up being trained to be an athlete and he didn't think he was intelligent. That's how he took that and dreamed of his kids having both. Um, fortunately they didn't have my athletic ability. I can't walk and chew gum. Um, (laughs) but they all three were athletic and that's something they enjoyed with their dad. And I just worked the concession and the gate so they could play, you know, um, he, all three of my kids quit their sport when dad left. Um, my son was playing in college. My daughter turned down all her scholarships, never opened the envelopes. Um, and that was just their deal, their thing they did together. You know, um, our youngest quit everything and had a lot of anger built up in him. And one of the high school coaches and two of his best friends talked him into being goalie on a soccer team and said, look, all we want you to do is stop the ball. He'd never played soccer. Uh, just stop the ball, and we don't care how you do it. We're going to state this year, and our goalie's out. So he literally got penalties every game for tackling people, for taking them out, for whatever, but they won state. <laughs> so he took his anger out on the field, you know, his frustrations, and that helped him. Um, but it wasn't his sport and Carrie was supposed to have been coaching him his senior year. And so he had so much hurt and disappointment. I mean, it ruined what he, what they built to do together, you know, so, you know, mm-hmm. what do you and do? Since I know you mentioned that his parents didn't want really have anything to do with it. And when you even said about the diagnosis, it kind of. <laughs> They didn't really say much. Yeah. I just wondered whether that changed and whether they seeked any information from you regarding that. No, I wish, because I think it would open the door to some forgiveness, hopefully. Um, but they just are blind to it. I'm sure I try to put myself in their shoes, and they literally raised him to be a professional athlete. His dad lived vicariously through him. Um, and I think there's probably guilt there. They didn't know. There shouldn't be guilt there. Nobody knew. Carrie played sports year round. He was a mm. superstar athlete. Um, kept him out of being in trouble. He lived in a rough, you know, poor, what's typical, you know, a lot of the kids don't turn out great, you know, statistically yeah. from that. And, and Carrie did. And so on one hand, they did all the right things. They used the abilities he had that God gave him to help him do better for himself, you know? So, um, I don't think they intended for him to feel stupid. Um, his mom was a teacher for God's sake. You know, mm. I just think that's how, you never know how people are going to take what you're doing, you know, and I, he just internalized that and that's how he took it. And his dad, um, wanted him to be a professional athlete and he was, and he did that proudly thinking he made his dad happy, you know? Mm. So, um, I think there's just a lot of, emotions in there that probably nobody ever talked about and then this just iced the cake and because they had a strained relationship it was very difficult and Carrie wanted very much to never move home and not be like that Mm. and so he didn't know how to see Carrie as a parent when he was so polar opposite of what 
he had been raised like. Mm -hmm. And Carrie was intentional about being different. So I just think there were so many things left unsaid mm -hmm. that you can't go back and fix, you know, but um, I wish he could find some peace um, and ask questions because it gave us peace. But I think it benefited his dad that, and mom that he had CTE because Carrie had a strained relationship with them. And we saw them when we saw them and talked to them when we talked to them. And we did see them. We were intentional about that every couple of months. And I mean, they were his parents and Carrie loved them, but they were never allowed to babysit our kids because Carrie was raised being hit. You know, he would never trust them with our children. And um, we just lived very different than them. Um, so we always had to be together and we had so much fun with them, live, being at the lake and doing things with them, but we didn't have those deep relationships like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was very just superficial doing things together. And mm -hmm. so when Carrie had his demise and he turned to his dad, it gave them a chance at having him back in their life. And so the worse he got and the more, um, codependent he became, that gave them back their son as sick as that is. I think they were happy with that. And I don't think they want to see that it was because he was sick. I mm. think they want it to be because he wanted them and wanted to be, you know, like he changed his mind and the way he'd lived instead of the reality of what it was. So. Mm -hmm. Did he actually live with them, Mindy? No, um, he, his parents had a camper that they were supposed to travel in and, didn't do very often and so they had given him a camper it's just a very small uh rv camper that probably explains why they didn't see the symptoms because i do think you have to live with the person to really notice these day-to-day -day changes that they are experiencing well and they talk and drive and on the outside look like living a very normal life you know i mean it doesn't it's not debilitating physically where you can see that something's going on um, my best friend saw him when he was working at the grocery store as a sacker and was, what are you doing here? Because we didn't know where he was living or what he was going at the time. And he tried to run and hide from her in the grocery store. And of course, she's my best friend. So she went after him, you know, and uh, <laughs> uh, tried to talk to him, you know, whatever. And he he just cried. And he said, you just don't understand. I can't fix everything. So Carrie knew. Carrie knew stuff was going on. He didn't know what to do. And I was his. I did everything we got married in college and Carrie really believed he wasn't smart enough to do things. And I was his crutch. I, he never spoke to his agents. He literally the first agent that he wanted really bad. He said, um, if you can't talk to my wife and do all this, I, I can't hire you. And they refused and said, we have to talk to you. And he said, I can't go with you then. Um, he just, he had no self-confidence in that. Um, anything that was outside of a sport. And so um, even at his funeral, one of the agents that spoke um, said, he said, well, we all know that Carrie's not here. Because remember, we didn't have a body and he was trying to lighten the mood because it was very tense. And he said, typical of Carrie, if you want to talk to Carrie, you got to talk to Mindy. So Carrie's not here, but Mindy is, you know, but that's just who Carrie was, you know, and we all, it was funny, but not funny, you know, and, but it was so real and that's how our relationship was. And he never paid a bill in his life. If I, it, everyone joked that, oh my gosh, if anything ever happens to Mindy, we gotta like help him so much. Like 
think you hear a lot of older people that the man took care of everything and then the woman doesn't even know how to write a check, you know, whatever. And that was our relationship. Carrie wanted to play sports and anything that had to do with that, I was to take care of. Um, and he was going to play the sport and that allowed me to stay home and I ran the house. That's it. Period. Mm -hmm. so we didn't argue about it because <laughs> whatever Sounds I said, like you know. We're a great couple together, though, you know. Well, you know, we helped each other in our strengths and weaknesses, our confidence and not, you know. So it was, it was, I don't want to say it was easy, but it was easy because it wasn't the conflict. You know, if I said no to our kids, he said, better listen to your mom. You know, there was, there was not the argument about that. So it was mm -hmm. hard to lose my left arm, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. so. And I know you said how, it was in 2016 and you, you didn't feel like there was much support. I just wondered based on like your experience, what do you think needs to change now? Whether that's just the culture within sport or whether the support there is for caregivers. I just wondered what you want or what you think should be changed now. I can tell you what's helping me today. We didn't have the women of the NFL group, people talking, sharing their, people arguing there though, you know, about CTEs. One of the younger ladies will say something and, one of us that have lived it will be like, listen and try and help them. And they don't want to hear it. Their husband's still playing. They don't want to be a part of that. They don't want to think it's going to happen to them. Um, I mean, we all get in a car every day and none of us want to think we're going to be the one that's in a rollover accident and on the news that night that got killed. You know, we don't walk through life scared like that and thinking like that. And so when you're living the dream and everything's going great and you've made the team and this is what your husband has worked his whole life for since peewee football you know they're happy you don't want to think about the negative and I get that um for me the timing was horrible because there just wasn't the information we didn't know what it was but people before me had nothing at least we'd heard of it you know so I had at least some place I could look up a few articles I think there were three at the time that I could find um and I think today for my kids and I, the hardest thing is the acceptance that people just don't want to believe. And it's so crazy to me because even if Carrie knew that this could happen, he loved it that much and was raised to be a professional athlete, he would have chosen it. That's who he was. That, that everything he did was competitive. I mean, when the kids were learning to potty train, he had the boys who can pee the farthest outside. I mean, everything was a game. So his his mindset, and to be a professional athlete and the women that are married to those men, they get it. They're different. I mean, to be married to someone that can stand and speak to millions of people, they have a different mindset. Everybody can't do that. Our athletic guys have a different mindset. Their determination, their but they'll give their entire body, soul, life to something and commit to it. And I mean, a normal Joe would not say, you can't tell me what to eat or when, you know, I mean, it's a commitment that they make and choose and they love. It's who they are. It's a dream. You can't rob someone of their dreams and make it go away. Um, I don't think there's any way football's too big that it would go away. I think our only hope is to change it to love the only flag till 14 idea. I love that. 
I love that. I have several friends that played in the NFL that they never even played football till high school. I mean, there's no reason for all this forever, you know, um, watching it, you get enough of an idea. If you're that athlete that's going to make it, you're athletic enough to learn it <laughs> enough to get seen that quick. These parents just believe every kid has a chance. It's less than 1%. Give me a break, you know, but nobody thinks like that. They, so I think, I'm sorry, I babble. Um, what could have helped was just more, uh, awareness of what it was just more knowledge. Um, and it was just the timing and now what could help. I think, I think the battle of proving it, I think our frustration is, I mean, our very best friends, you know, that we lost half of them because they just believe Carrie was such a genuine, honest, just great guy, goofy guy, true Oklahoma Texan guy, shake your hand, you know, don't have to sign on the dotted line. He'll do what he said he's going to do guy. And, um, so when he said all the things that he believed when he was paranoid, they believed him. Why wouldn't they? He was always telling the truth. He was always, you know, so until we convince people what it's really like and that they can look normal, they're not on crutches or in a wheelchair and they can drive and, and hold down a job and, you know, look normal on the outside that no one's ever going to believe us. And, the nightmare we uh, nightmare that we live is just to have someone not believe you. It makes all the pain so much worse because we do need each other. We need each other for support going through it and afterwards because that pain doesn't go away. You never, you never get over losing someone. If you truly love them, that love lives forever. It doesn't die with them. So I think now I just try to promote and educate and even my kids go through times where they want to believe it. And then they're so upset and so hurt. They're like unsure. Mm -hmm. It's like people walk in a Christian faith. They believe in it. And then something bad happens. They're like, how could God let this happen? They believe it, but how could it happen? You know? And so I just think we, we walk learning and trying to build the belief that it's real. Mm -hmm. That's where we sit today. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it must just be so hard to be in that moment and try and you're trying to convince yourself that nothing's wrong, really, aren't you? Like you're trying to, it's this whole disbelief. I don't want anything to be wrong with my husband, my loved one, whoever it may be, let alone trying to convince other people that these changes aren't him. They aren't his personality. It's not who he is as a person. It's because something else is happening that we aren't currently sure about. And and that just adds fuel to the fire, I, I can imagine. And it's something you just don't really want to be doing. And I'm so glad that we have stepped in the right direction and that more and more people do know what CTE is and how it affects individuals. So people aren't probably trying as hard to convince others that this is a real serious situation. But I think it's easy to write it off as a midlife crisis. Mm. And so people want to say that. They want to just say that's all it is. You know, well... Yeah. Even if that's all it is, it's still something, but nobody wants to think that far into it. Does that make sense? Totally, yeah. yeah. And his early symptoms, I did think he was having a midlife crisis. That made sense to me. It just Even went so much bigger and deeper than 30s and 40s. I mean, that's about the time for some guys. So, yeah. yeah, it was for us. Yeah, it definitely was. Yeah, it's too young for that. So, regardless of whatever you want to call it, it makes you look back and think how many people were midlife crisis that weren't you know mm. 
um, oh, they're retired and they're having trouble finding themselves. Really? Is that all it is? You know, mm -hmm. you don't go crazy because you're having a hard time. You don't go crazy and become paranoid because you're depressed about your career change. I mean, yeah, the things that happened are so much bigger and deeper than that. But that's what exactly. people, they don't want to address that, you know. So I think our last question today is actually our finishing tradition. So okay. basically a, pre a previous guest uh, has asked a question, one of our okay. previous guests, and their question is, is, knowing what you know now, is there anything you would have done differently? Um, ooh, that's tough. It, uh, now, because it's out there and there's help out there, I would have helped him get help. If he'd had cancer, I'd have fought to get him into Mayo anywhere I could have that I thought had the right help for him. Um, I fought for him and do this day I do to prove that he wasn't who he turned into and the things he did were not him and that wasn't what he would want. And, you know, I fight for his reputation um, and his memory to be the good man that he was, but I couldn't fight for his health then. And I would have, I would have tried to help him, even though there's nothing you could do, but for him to understand and him to get help to deal with like any illness that's killing you, mm -hmm. you know, get help uh, so that it wasn't so overwhelming to just land as a bombshell and then there's nothing you can do you know at least I think there would have been some peace that we tried to help dad and we tried to accept his I mean it's a disability and help him as he progressed instead we hated him we were angry we so many words we wish we could take back if we'd have known um doesn't make what he did right but to have a justification and that he didn't know we wouldn't have hated him so much, you know? So um, I just wish that we could fix that part of it, so. Well, thank you so much, Mindy. I mean, oh, such, such an incredible and resilient lady. I mean, after everything you've been through and to stick around and, and still be there is just incredible. So I hope you I have a good life. Credit. Thank you. No, I, we worked hard to have a good family and to have stable kids and I'm not going to quit on that. We did it there. I've got an assistant DA. I've got a teacher of the year this year and I've got one grad, the last one graduating college in May. We did it. And that is I'm not going to let carry down. We planned for that. It's what we hoped for. It's what we prayed for. And, and that's what I tell the kids. We have to keep doing what we really truly wanted. Um, and, and raised our children believing, you know, and, and I can't change that because dad did. An illness made him change, not what we wanted in our heart and and wanted for them. So I'm proud of them for fought going forward with what we'd always raised them to be. Mm -hmm. So it's hard, you know, but I mean, you know, her brother and our daughter's brothers, you know, walked her down the aisle. Well, he should have been there, you know. But mm -hmm. we're a close family because of football, because we got to be together all the time. And so the good outweighed the bad in that sense. And I got to be mm -hmm. a stay-at-home mom, and our kids got to be very worldly and learn lots of things. So I have mm -hmm. to, to focus on the positives of it. Mm -hmm. And I just can't live in the negative anymore. It was so hard as he was as during his demise. We just have to keep moving forward.
mm-hmm. and live because Carrie was a liver. He wanted to play and do everything. So mm-hmm. we have to just live. Mm-hmm. Well, yourself and Carrie and your children, you're all doing so much for other people now that you're sharing this story. So thank you so much again. Oh, hope so. Thank you all. Thank you for trying to help educate people and get it out there. Thank you so much for the women that, and, and children that are going through this. That will help us so much when people hear us and believe us because it is such a lonely thing to go through. So thank you guys so much. Well, thank you, Mindy. And we do really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, it's just been so great to hear your story. And I'm so glad that you're benefiting from these episodes as well, because that means so, so much to us. But we hope to stay in touch and speak with you really soon. Okay, y'all. Bye-bye. Thank you. So nice to meet you. See you later. That is the end of today's episode, everyone. We hope you enjoyed it. We will see you next week, eight o'clock on Monday for the next episode of CT Talk. I hope everyone has a great week as usual and we will see you then. Bye.